Man, you're missing page 434, a little town of Bethlehem. <laughs>
It's been an honor to have uh, Brother Carter preaching for us, and so Brother, why don't you go ahead and finish up today. Well, I praise the Lord for an afternoon service. Pastor said he always lets the assistant pastor preach, so I'm sorry I'm taking your time. But he also said that it's the one service there's really no time limit on, <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff I didn't get to earlier, so <clears throat> this is perfect. Anyway, take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
We can move this um, if you want, brother. Side. Second um, Timothy chapter number three. <clears throat> this is a portion of scriptures that is most probably thought of in regards to the ending of this chapter concerning. All Scripture being given by inspiration of God, being profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Amen. And those are wonderful things, important things. But we're going to start up in verse number 10. So if you would, when you find your place in 2 Timothy 3, stand with me. Let's read beginning in verse number 10. We'll read down through verse 15. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose. I want you to note that word in particular. Faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight, this afternoon, that you might um, tune our hearts into your word, into your truth, and direct our thoughts by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Back in July of this year, I was preparing for um, an ordination service for Brother Shane Dice, who um, had just was just finishing, had just finished his deputation. He's in England now. Um, we've got three families out of our church that are in southern England as missionaries, and and I was preparing for his ordination before he went. And um, in praying about where to preach and and kind of God's direction for that service, um, I. I was led to this passage, and of course, obviously, when you're preaching to a charge for a you know a, a young preacher, this is Timothy is you know one of those passages that is is kind of on your mind anyway. But I was studying here and thinking on these verses, and I and I just caught my attention what Paul said here, and and I'm not going to preach what I preach. Matter of fact, I didn't. I didn't even address this in the message, but it caught my attention while I was studying for that, and I went back and, and studied it out later. But when Paul says in verse number 10, Thou hast known my doctrine, and it's interesting because there's a connection here, obviously, to verse number 16, that the Scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. So Paul's saying, you know, you've known my doctrine. My doctrine came from the Word of God, and you, you know what I preached, you know what I taught, and doctrine simply means what is taught. And, and so he knew he had received that teaching. And then he says manner of life there. And that meaning the, 
the things that Paul did, the way that he lived, and the, the example that he set in front of Timothy. But then he makes this, says this word, and it just, I don't know, it just caught my attention, this word purpose. He said, my manner of life, and, and, and then he just says purpose. And the implication here is that Timothy knew Paul's purpose. And, and I got to thinking about that because um, I don't think a lot of people know their own purpose. Like a lot of people go through life kind of aimlessly and don't really know what they're here for. And so they struggle. Sometimes that's a result of, of an identity issue, an insecurity there, not really knowing who they are, and so they don't know what they're supposed to do or so forth, and, and sometimes I think there's a, a, maybe a deeper issue at hand, and, and so I spent some time thinking about it. I'm going to kind of draw back to where we were earlier when I was talking about building relationship, and I, and I was talking about um, meditation there out of Joshua 1.8, because sometime back I, I, um, I did just through, through trying to learn how to walk with God, trying to learn how to fellowship with God, um, I started this process. This, is just, this was like a, something I happened into by just trying to figure out how to get closer to the Lord. You know, sometimes that happens. Like, I don't know why I do this. I'm just, it seems to, you know, help me get closer to the Lord. And then later, God started opening my understanding to why it works and so forth and the principles and so forth that, that way. But whenever... Um, Whenever a thought comes into my mind that's not, a, not something I ought to think about, which all of us have, right? And I don't even mean like evil, horrible things, just things that I shouldn't think about. Um, uh, things that aren't true or just or honest or of good report or virtuous or praiseworthy, and like Philippians 4, 8 says, things that don't fit into those categories. I have this, this um, normal behavior like all of people do that that if you know if I'm not careful my mind just wanders onto things that I shouldn't think about anyone else okay so and and then and then I get consumed with thinking about things that aren't godly or good and then um, before long it affects my spirit it affects my attitude it even affects my actions and behavior and and you know wrong thinking leads to sinful thinking I don't even mean sinful thinking to begin with just thinking that's not godly not spiritual not honest and true and worthy of praise and so forth that type of thinking leads to sinful thinking and sinful thinking leads to sinful behaviors and and um and, and so we I, I kind of have this little chart we use in the addictions ministry um that says uh <clears throat> you know thoughts and uh lead to um feelings which lead to decisions which leads to actions which leads to um, habits, which leads to a lifestyle, and your lifestyle reinforces your thinking, and so this creates this kind of cycle, if you will. And so in studying to try and help addicts and, and preparing the hope material, that was one of those areas where I'm like, well, I struggle with my thinking, and I struggle keeping my mind right and, and true and pure. And so I, I started this process where whenever I'd have a thought that wasn't a good thought, I decided um, I'm going to stop thinking about that. I'm going to decide to take control of my thinking. 
um, which is something a lot of people don't, I, I don't think they even realize they can do that at, for some reason. Like, you get to decide what you think about. You're not a slave to your random thoughts that come through your mind. And so I decided I'm going to stop thinking about that, and I'm going to think about something that, that's from the Bible. That's what I'm going to think about on purpose, and not, not let my thinking be just kind of drawn away, if you will. A good passage that illustrates this is in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, where he says we, should, we are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and have a readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. And so this is a kind of a companion passage to Joshua 1.8, where if wrong thoughts come in, even just Again, just negative thoughts, things I sh that just aren't glorifying to God, won't lead me in a right direction. I can cast those down, and I capture my thinking, and I put it where it ought to be, which is, according to Joshua, um, on the Word of God and to, to the intent of implementing God's Word in my life. And then um, I'm obedient to God. This, this comes in that intention phase where I'm obedient to God, and then... I'm successful, like Joshua 1.8. So see how the Bible just kind of all, you know, works together. So this actually was just kind of this process. I'm trying to figure out how to explain, how to, how to put together and, and so forth. But I found that as I started doing that, it just changed my closeness to God. Because my mind was focused on Him. And, you know, my thoughts are focused on him, and, and it's leading me into doing things that are glorifying to him, and, and this just changes my relationship with him in a, in a real dramatic way. And, and as that began to change, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm getting to a point here. As that began to change, it, it changed <clears throat> how I saw myself, but also how I saw God's work, even though I was already a pastor, Right? Um, it changed how I saw these things that I was doing. So when I'm studying back in July and I come across this passage and Paul says, you've known my purpose, that caught my attention. So I put that word purpose on my, my list. I keep a list in my phone of uh, when I read my Bible every day, I read only until something catches my attention and I stop and I meditate on that. And that might be my meditation all day long. Um, but if I finish meditating on that, uh, whatever that thing is that catches my attention, I will go to my list, and when a wrong thought comes in, I cast it down, and I meditate on something that I've put on my list that I haven't finished meditating on. So I put that on my list, and um, a day or two later, I, I kind of had a short devotion, and, and the thought that the Lord gave me that day it just didn't take very long to figure out what to do with it. And, and um, uh, so I, I went to my list, and that was on the top of my list. It was the last thing I'd put in. And I thought, okay, I'm going to think about, I'm going to meditate on what Paul said here, this purpose, and how did he know his purpose, and how would Timothy have known his purpose? And, and because it's, I mean, it's just an interesting topic to me, but also it, it just caught my attention. So, so I spent start meditating on it. And I meditated on it that day. And, and then the next day um, in the afternoon, just generally about 
early afternoon, my, my daily devotional topic, will, I've kind of exhausted thought on that, and, and so I'll go to my list, and so I start meditating on this, like literally every afternoon and evening, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, and, and when I think about these things, I'm trying to help you here, so I'm not just telling you a story, I'm telling you a process, okay, so if you'll catch this. So I start with looking words up in the dictionary, and I'll, I'll find the, you know, the definition, what, is it, what does the word mean, and then I'll, then I'll look the, in the concordance and I'll see, okay, where is this word used in other places? And I, I use a little tool on my uh, eSword Bible app called uh, KJC, which tells you where words that are translated as certain words are also translated as other words. Um, if that makes sense, so, so it might not be translated purpose. And the same Greek word might have a couple different words it's translated in. There's not an error. I'm not saying there was an error or anything. It's just, it's the same word. So I, I'll go and look in that passage and read that passage. And, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be connections here, right? And so, so then I start thinking about passages. And, and, um, and so I start thinking about, about um, accounts in the Bible that maybe relate to, right? Because we are to compare Scripture with Scripture. And, and so I'm meditating on, on this word, on, on Paul's purpose. That's what I'm meditating on, but I'm comparing it now. Not only have I looked up the word, not only I've looked at every verse that has the word in it and every other place, every way it's translated in other places. Now I'm thinking about other people and uh, narratives and accounts and, and purpose and people that knew their purpose, right? And obviously, obviously, you know, Paul had a, a purpose and his purpose was to preach the gospel. Uh, he says that several times, but his purpose was also specifically to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and, and he had a, a specific direction God had given him, and, and Timothy knew that purpose and that the, 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 uh, the direction or the, the calling, we might say, uh, that God had placed on his life because, because Paul lived it out, and Paul taught on it, and Paul wrote about it, and Paul preached it, and, and all of these things. So I start looking at other people, and how did they know God's purpose? Like, how did Paul know God's purpose for him. We, we can look in the scriptures and find that answers. The answer is simple. It's like God told him. That's, that's a simple answer, right? God told him. But then when we ask that question about us, the average Christian could not answer that question and they'll feel like somehow there's a deficiency in them because, well, God must not love me like he loved Paul because he hasn't given me a specific purpose. I don't have a specific calling on my life that, that God's spoken to me about. And, and very frequently in counseling, I get this question from people like, how do I know the will of God? How can I know what God wants in, in my life? And so, um, so I'm, I'm thinking about Paul and Peter and, and John and, and, of course, Jesus and John the, uh, the, the um, uh, Baptist, John the Baptist, and he had a clear purpose, like, from birth, and, and he had a, a direction there. And so then I move into the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm thinking through all of the prophets, you know, the minor prophets, who, who those were all the short ones, and then the, the big prophets, I think that's how it works, or something like that. Anyway... The major prophets had large pulpits like this, and the minor prophets, they had lecterns, little lecterns, some of them folded up and stuff. So, <clears throat> so anyway, um, 
I'm thinking about all these accounts. Thinking about, about Daniel, you know, and Daniel obviously knew his purpose, and Jeremiah, and, and um, going backwards through the scriptures until I got all the way back to Noah. I didn't mention that this took me up three plus weeks of meditation because I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm just focused my attention on it. Unless I had something to do that consumed my attention, when I didn't have something to do that was consuming my attention, this is what I was thinking about for three weeks. My wife is an unusual lady in that often when women ask their husbands, what are you thinking about? The answer is nothing. My wife doesn't get that answer very often because I'm thinking about something, so she stopped asking me that question because it always involves some lengthy diatribe about, and she's like, I didn't want you to preach to me. I'm like, you asked. That's what I'm thinking about. So go back to Genesis chapter 6. So we thought, I thought all the way from 2 Timothy all the way back here to Genesis chapter 6. This is meditation. All right, please catch what I'm trying to tell you. I'm telling you a process. I'm telling you something that every one of you can implement. If you struggle with, with destructive thinking, you struggle with, with thinking of negative thinking, with depression, with anxiety, with those type of things, you need to implement this process. You need to implement this process. You need to take responsibility for your thinking. It's your responsibility. Think on these things. God's not going to do it for you. He's given you the tools to do it. And you can do it, but thinking and meditating is kind of like a, is using a muscle, okay? When you first start exercising, it's kind of difficult. You can't do very much. You can't go very long. You can't lift very much. And you get tired and you get sore pretty quickly. And quite frankly, meditating can be that way pretty quick. But the longer you go to the gym and you lift and you exercise and you work, the stronger you get, the more you can lift, the longer you can go. You build up the stamina. That's how meditation is. So don't get discouraged if you start and stop and fail and just keep starting again and keep starting again. A, righteous, a just man falls seven times and rises again, the Bible says. So you just keep doing it and you'll build up the, the strength of meditation in your life. And you need to because you're commanded to meditate on the Word of God. And there's a promise for it. Okay, So I get all the way back to chapter number six and I'm thinking about Noah. And I, and I read here in verse number 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, <coughs> in my mind, I'm tying this back to what happened with Cain over here, his wrong thinking. And the Lord said in verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we have to ask, why? Just random? Just Noah, God just kind of liked Noah more than other people? Why did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, it's answered in the next verse. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. There's why. Noah walked with God. 
That's why he found grace. If you want to find grace, walk with God. That's pretty simple, right? It's not comp- this is not rocket science, or Brother Richard King would say, they're not rocket surgery. <clears throat> he walked with God. And then in verse 10, he had children. In verse 11, the earth is corrupt. And, and in verse number, um, uh, verse number 13, God said to Noah. Now here God is speaking to Noah, but please catch this. Catch this important thing. God spoke to Noah because Noah walked with God. This is deep stuff. Are you with me? God spoke to Noah because Noah walked with God. Why isn't God speaking to me? Who are you walking with? Well, I go to church. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about who are you walking with every day. I mean, when, when my wife and I, when we're together and we're walking, we, we talk, we communicate, we're sharing things, right? Um, there's a fellowship that's going on. That's part of walking together. Otherwise, there's no point in walking together. There's this fellowship, communion that's going on. So when, when I say Noah walked with God, the implication here would be that he had a full Connective, communicative relationship with God. Not just that he occasionally did worshipy stuff. Not just that, you know, well, it's time to take that offering down there. Let's go, boys. It's our weekly offering sacrifice. Make the offering. Set it out there. There you go, God. Done the religious thing. See you next week. That is not walking with. Walking with God implies that closeness of fellowship. Because that's what we see in the very first portion with Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the cool of the day and they talked with Him. So we know what walking with God entails. It entails talking with Him. So Noah walks with God in verse number 9. And then in verse number 13, God says to Noah, which is not odd because he's already in fellowship and communication. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will make and destroy them with the earth. And then he says in verse number 14, this is what caught me all the way back here. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. All right, so I'm pretty dense, and that's why I have to meditate all the way back through the entire Bible. But that looks an awful lot like a purpose to me. Like a hundred years worth of purpose. Like enduring mocking and ridicule kind of purpose. Like the kind of purpose Paul was talking about when he said, you've known my purpose, and then almost the next thing he says after that, and he says faith, and he says, and persecutions. <laughs> Like the kind of purpose that causes you to be able to endure persecution and shame and ridicule and and all of those things. Causes you to be able to endure when people tell you that it's worthless and you shouldn't do that and you're a fool and all that type of stuff. I mean, real, real purpose. Not just something I'm doing on the side. Not just a hobby type thing. I mean, real purpose that has life-changing implication. That's That's what Noah finds here. And he's, 
He's given this purpose by God because of his communication with God, because he walked with God, and then all of a sudden it clicked. Has it clicked yet? How do you get purpose? How do you get purpose? I don't know. I'm hoping I figure out what I'm supposed to do in life. Just waiting around, taking some classes, surfing YouTube. There's lots of purposes out there. Listen, the world wants to give you a purpose. And specifically to our young people. The world wants you to take up their causes and their purposes. Uh, their purpose may be athletics. I like, I'm a, I'm a KU fan. And um, I'm right with God. And um, I like to watch Kansas basketball and... I recently like to watch Kansas football again. But I was a fan even when we weren't any good because I'm a real fan, you know. So, But there's a lot of young people that their entire life, their, like, their purpose of life is playing games. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying athletics or a game, but that's not what life is about. That's a worldly purpose. But the world will offer you this. And I'm not even talking about athletes. I mean, it makes more sense to me that someone that can actually play a sport, like, that's not me. I, I'm not unathletic, but I'm not going to go into the NBA or the NFL or even hockey, you know. I'm not that level of athlete. But there's a lot of guys like me that their entire life is consumed with some sports fanaticism like as if it were their purpose in life to be a fan of someone else doing something. Isn't that weird? All right, that's how weird it is. People do that with, with movies and television shows and video games, and this one blows my mind. But you young people know what I'm talking about. Some of the old people here will know how old they are when they don't even know what I'm talking about. There are, there are channels specifically dedicated to allowing you to watch someone else play a video game. All right, by definition, playing a video game is not actually doing anything. It's pretending with your thumbs and fingers, I guess, to someone is doing something. But there are people watching them pretend to be someone that does someone. Think about that. That's, that's out there. And these, no kidding, these video game players have million of million strong fan bases of people that will watch them play a video game. <coughs> I'm, that blows my mind. It really does. <clears throat> and the kids here are like, what's wrong with that? They're really good players. I'm thinking of going pro. If, as a teenager, if I would have ever said something as ridiculous to my parents as, like, what are you going to do with your life? I think I'm going to go pro with video games. You know how mocked I would have been by my parents? My parents would be like, we're complete failures. The kid doesn't even, have an, doesn't even know anything. You can't be a pro video game player. You can now. It's weird. A professional video game player. That is the aspiration of, we had five 
Now, none of them are in church now, ironically. Brother, we had five college-age young men make a pact together. They quit their jobs so they could play video games for a two-month straight. That's all they did. All of them quit their jobs, moved into a one house together. They, they figured out they could have enough money between all of them to buy food and pay the rent for two months. So they did. They quit their jobs and just played video games for two months straight. And then the, I, I'm sure they wonder why they don't have girlfriends or wives. Like, I don't know why the girls don't like us. Because girls only like guys with skills, that's why. Nunchuck skills, right? But not video game skills. All right. <laughs> you don't know what we're talking about, though. <clears throat> meaning in athletics, meaning in arts, being an artist, being a singer, going on The Voice or the X. Factor or American Idol or something. This, this is the aspiration of life. Being famous. I'm saying that there are people who they think their entire purpose in life is to be famous for being famous. For doing nothing other than being famous. Pleasure, wealth, climate justice, climate change. Greta Thunberg found her calling and purpose in life. Climate change. This is something that's being offered to your kids, by the way. As a legitimate and valuable purpose for life. To save the planet. Social justice. LGBTQ rights. Palestinian rights. Basically any left-leaning radical cause. These are the things that the world wants you to find purpose in. And I'm saying this, you might think that I'm kind of like, well, where are you going with this? My point is this. All of us want purpose in our life. It's something we need. We were created to have a purpose. But what happens with our young people is that we have this tendency to just put them in church and go through the motions ourselves, and they never really learn how to walk with God. How old are you? Yeah. 14. You saved? When did you get saved? 2018, where? At youth camp? Right, fantastic. 14 years old. When are you supposed to start walking with God? Yeah. So how long ago was that? Math. <laughs> Six years ago? You got saved in, at, at 14? Or how old? All right, you got saved at eight. Can an eight-year-old walk with God? There's a lot of us that have this mentality of it's like our kids, maybe even six, seven, eight years old, they get saved. Like, well, they're just kids. <clears throat> Someday they'll walk with God. Someday, it's important that they'll start reading their Bible someday, that they learn how to walk with God, read their Bible, pray, grow close to the Lord, act spiritual, walk in the Spirit, 
you know, when they go to Bible college. Or, well, that's a lot to ask of a Bible college student, actually. So maybe when they get out of Bible college, once they get married, that's when you start walking with God. And that's part of the problem. Because once we stop teaching people to start walking with God when they get saved, we start excusing it further and further. And it's convenient because then we don't have to walk with God. But if we don't walk with God, we'll never know our purpose. So what happens is, as our young people, they're growing up in church and they're not walking with God. And that's just a reality. Most, most youth departments are very unspiritual. Most youth departments. I'm speaking as someone that grew up in youth department, have been around youth departments my whole life. I, I, I know, trust me, I was exposed to all the filth of the world at my youth department. All of it at my church. It's there. It's here. Don't have a facade. Not in our church, preacher. Of course it's here. Of course it's here. Say, are you trying to be judgmental? No, I'm being honest, being real. Girls, you need to walk with God, every one of you. Every one of you, if you're saved, you need to walk with God. And you need to learn how. You need to start learning how to spend time with him and read his word and meditate on it and pray and speak to him and walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh. And there is a big difference. You're not spiritual just because you go to church and you're not spiritual just because you grew up in a Christian home or in a, in a, a Christian family. Because what happens so often is even young people who grew up, I, I, I honestly, it blows my mind, but I know people that, that grew up in church, in Christian homes and in pastor's homes who are now LGBTQ activists in Seattle. Like leading marches and die-ins, or whatever they do call it. And they grew up in pastor's homes. But you know what they never had is a purpose from God. So they accepted one from the world. Why didn't they have a purpose from God? Because they didn't walk with him. They weren't like Noah. They weren't like Paul. They didn't walk with him. And, and listen, I don't think everyone's going to be a Noah and build an ark or everyone's going to be a Paul and be a missionary. I, I don't think it's God's calling for everyone to be a preacher. I don't believe that. I, I think that there need to be godly people in churches filling the pews, amen, filling the pews, vacuuming the halls, teaching Sunday school, cleaning the bathrooms, shoveling the walks, whatever it is, singing in the choir, leading the songs, playing the piano or the instruments. There need to be godly people. But listen, even in those places, listen, in this place right here and in that place right there, you should not be doing it without understanding God's purpose in your life because he has one for you. And he has one for every one of these young people. You don't have to go to the mission field of Africa or, or Central America or something like that to be having a purpose from God. You can have a purpose from God working at Walmart. But you need to know your purpose. How do you find it? It's just like this. You walk with God. Remember, Paul got saved and, and he didn't know what to do, so he went to Jerusalem and they kind of went, oh, uh, not really interested. And so he goes off to the wilderness in Arabia for three years, and then he's in Tarsus, and, and um, uh, Barnabas goes and finds him and brings him up to Antioch. And from what I can tell for maybe, 
a decade, maybe 14, 12 years or something like that, he's there in Antioch and he's just serving in the church. And he's just a faithful member and he teaches and he preaches sometimes, but he's just there in the church serving. It wasn't till after that time that God says, separate out me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And then God gave him a specific purpose beyond the ministry of serving. But can I tell you something? During that period of time, he still had a purpose. His purpose was to bring glory to God. Wait a minute. Bring glory to God. Please Him. Seems like I remember a verse like that. Back in Revelation chapter 4. That's the other end of the Bible. Verse number 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. <coughs> for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. But You were created to bring glory to God. And can I tell you something? You may never have a call to go be a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist or something beyond serving in your local church, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong saying, well, I'm not, not going to be a, a preacher, and so therefore, no, no. Your first calling, whether God ever calls you to be a preacher or a missionary or anything else, your first calling, your first purpose is to bring glory to God. And you ought to be doing that. You ought to be seeking to do that every day. But can I tell you something? You can't do that if you're not walking with Him. You cannot bring glory to God if you're not fellowshipping with Him. That calling that we have, that first calling, is to be that child of God who listens to Him, worships Him, glorifies Him, and whom He fellowships with. That's where we were just a little bit ago, wasn't it? His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I can be fulfilled in that. As a matter of fact, I really do believe that part of the reason God gave Noah a special calling, maybe we might say, or an extra calling, is because Noah was fulfilled in just being with God. Just fellowshipping with Him. He found meaning and purpose in his relationship with God. You know God's enough? Part of the problem we have is that we just, we're not satisfied with him. You know what he says in, to Timothy? Paul says this to Timothy. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Maybe the problem is not God. Maybe the problem is you're walking in the flesh. You're not walking with him. Because of that, you don't know what your purpose for life is. Because you're never going to find meaning and purpose when you're following this fleshly, sinful life. Meaning and purpose come from the Creator. He made you. Only the Creator knows your purpose. Only, crea only the Creator knows how to fulfill you. You're never going to figure that out yourself. 
You're going to spin your wheels and waste your life trying. But when you get to know Him, fellowship with Him, that communion with Him, and you find meaning in that relationship, then you find purpose for your life. And that purpose sometimes takes you places you never imagined it would. I don't suppose Paul ever imagined where he would end and what he would be doing. That wasn't on his list, right? Paul's grand idea was to become part of the Sanhedrin. And God said, how about I use you to change the world instead? Right? Why? Because Paul learned how to just find meaning in his relationship with God. And he got his purpose from God because of it. And you can find your purpose for life. But not until you start spending time with him because of who he is. And just fellowshipping with him and walking with him and meditating on his word. And I'm just telling you this. When you do that, God will give you a purpose. He will give you a purpose. And it will be a greater purpose than this world could ever offer. Let's bow our heads today. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the truth that we have in it and the the examples that we have in it. These men and women who walked with you, who endured so many hard things because they knew the calling you had in their life and the purpose you had for them. Lord, I pray that you would raise up in this church a multitude that fellowship with you, that seek your face, that find that purpose in you, just like Noah did, and Abraham, and Jacob, and Isaac, like Paul did. Help us to find that same purpose in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. This piano plays. God spoke.
Amen. Even amidst the snow, it was a great day in the Lord's house, and the Lord, uh, the Lord really met with us. So grateful for that. Thank you, Brother Carter, for the messages and good challenges all throughout the day. Just uh, like I mentioned earlier in the previous service, just some points of interest. Uh, we have our Christmas party December 2nd. Uh, the missions offering will be December 3rd. The cantata will be December 10th. Clatch program December 17th. Ladies' Christmas party December 18th. And then, of course, the leading up to the Christmas Eve service December 24th. So be in prayer for the Carters as they're traveling back today. Hopefully they run in, hopefully they have good weather all the way back. Uh, and then we'll just go ahead and be dismissed. Brother Richard, you mind dismissing us in prayer? Before I forget, uh, we have another holiday today. Today's pastor's birthday. Miss Metzinger's. Today's Miss Pastor's birthday. Uh, tomorrow is what I meant. And brother, brother Foster's gonna take over. I'm done. <laughs> yes, her birthday tomorrow. So let's sing happy birthday to her. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you.